This is the Statman Sports Podcast, where we keep topics in context. This is your host, Steve Duffus, who is still wondering why the Seahawks didn't run the ball. It's a beautiful day to talk sports, baby. Welcome to episode 330 of the Statman Sports Podcast. This is your host, Steve Duffus. I hope you guys had a wonderful weekend. Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods is back. He is back on top. He won his 15th major championship at Augusta National. Oh my goodness, I cannot wait to talk about that NBA playoff. Some crazy, crazy upsets that went on in game ones. Man, but before we get into all that... If you're here for the first time, thank you for tuning in, spending your time listening to my podcast. I'm sure there's a lot out there you can listen to, but you chose mine. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can go on iTunes, Spotify, tune in wherever you're listening from and just hit that subscribe button. That would be much appreciated. Guys, oh my goodness gracious, man. It's been one of the greatest weekends in sports that I can remember. You know, I was on my heels entire weekend taking a lot of notes because, hey, that's what sports does to us. It's exciting. It's amazing. And whoo we man, I cannot wait to share my thoughts with you. And especially, like I said, what went on with Tiger Woods and uh, how that changed everything in the golf world and what that is mean for now and for the future. So, man, <laughs> let's go, man. I'm lost for words already. I'm lost for words. Let's just get right into it with what are you talking about, bro? I know we missed it, but I brought it back. Let's go, baby. Huh? What are you talking about, man? Woo! What? (laughs) Bro, what are you talking about, man? So let me just start off like this. And whether it's a hot take or not, that's how it's going to be for me. Tiger Woods just completed the greatest comeback in sports history. Not just golf, in sports history. If you even pay attention to some part of golf. I must note before I say that, I don't play any golf. I've never played any golf. But the way I have been my entire life, I at least I try to understand any sports that I'm watching. Whether it be hockey, baseball, basketball. Whatever it is, I try to understand it to my maximum capacity so I can have a conversation. I can be uh, educated. I don't look like a fool. And golf is one of those sports. Like I said, I don't play it at all, but I studied it enough. I know the lingo. I understand it very well. I know what I need to look for in order to, you know, dissect and break down the game. So this past weekend, Masters, first Masters of the year. The first championship of the year. A a course that Tiger Woods had played since 1995 when he joined as an amateur. 1997, he won his first green jacket. We saw a man that has gone through the highs and literally the lows. Tiger Woods was on the top of his game. I was fortunate enough to start watching Tiger Woods in his prime. And let me tell you guys something. If you have never listened to me, you know I tell a lot of backstories. Let me tell you something. 
Golf is not a sport that's for everybody. If you know the history of the sport, it pretty much catered to those of the higher class, the higher standard, those with money. Because golf, it is an expensive game, even now. I mean, golf clubs are expensive. Playing the courses are expensive. You know, getting memberships into these clubs are expensive. So not everyone can afford to play it. And even if you can, that doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. It takes a lot of work, a lot of practice. And Tiger Woods hit the scene. 1997 for me. In 1997, I was, what, 12 years old? And I was conscious of the sport. I was conscious of just any sport at that point. That was when Michael Jordan won his fifth championship and Tiger Woods arrived in the sports world. And why do I say that? It was Tiger Woods was 21 years old. And he dominated a field that, to most, arguably, was one of the greatest fields of all time in golf. Now, let's fast forward 22 years later. We know the scandal that Tiger Woods went through. His personal life was up for the world to see the things that he did in his personal life. Things that if any one of us ever had those type of things happen to us, I don't, I'm not sure we can recover. And even Tiger Woods, with all the money in the world, we weren't sure if he was ever going to recover. But let's go back to the sports part of this. If you were remotely interested in golf between 1997 and 2008, it was for one simple reason. One, Tiger Woods. State the obvious, he was a black guy. And most of the black community rooted for him. We wanted the one black guy to win. Because I'm just going to say it like it is. Golf is predominantly black. I was watching the tournament on Sunday, the final round. And I'm saying to myself, man, and I made a comment to one of my friends during the during the, the, the tournament in the telecast. And I said, my goodness, <laughs> I have never seen in my life other than basketball when so many Caucasian white folks are cheering for a black guy this much. And it reminded me of something that I will get into at the end of this segment. But let's get back to the beginning, man. Tiger Woods had... The most dominant stretch any individual can have in any professional sports between 1997 and 2008. Tiger was pretty much lapped the field. He dominated in every major aspect in golf. There's even this term called Tiger Proofing. People used to proof the golf because Tiger Woods would obliterate off the tee. He would hit drive six three sixty five. At one instance, I think it was like he was at one point he was averaging like 320, 330 off the tee. He was leading the PGA Tour in greens and regulation, leading the PGA Tour in in putting, in scrambling, pretty much anything he was leading the tour in. People wouldn't come close to it. It was a foregone conclusion when Tiger Woods joined the tournament that it was give him the W. I'm not going to mention all the statistics right now, but one of the most amazing statistics ever in any sport. Tiger Woods made the cut for like 300 and something tournaments. You know how crazy that is? The second longest one was about 100. (laughs) That's how dominant Tiger Woods was. Tiger Woods in major tournaments when he's leading after 54 holes. That means after three rounds. He was 14-0 when leading. 
So coming into Sunday, after everything we saw Tiger Woods go through in his personal life, everything we saw on the on on the golf, on the golf uh, course, this man had four back surgeries. He had a neck injury. He has ACL torn. Two thousand eight. I remind you, he won the U.S. Open Championship on a torn ACL when he beat when he beat uh, Rocco Mediate in the playoffs. Since then, Tiger Woods hasn't won a major championship. 2008. The last time he won the Masters was 2005, guys. So this is what Tiger Woods was coming up against. When he came back from his last back surgery two years ago, everyone thought, even Tiger Woods himself admitted, he wasn't sure if he was ever going to play golf again. But he came back and he pushed through the words his dad told him. You will never meet somebody tougher than yourself. And Tiger Woods fought through a lot in his personal life and on the golf course he came close in the last three majors he came close but the field he was playing in he just couldn't keep up and we all wondered are we ever going to see Tiger Woods back on top not just dominating but just back on top because what we've seen from Tiger Woods between the year 2000 and 2003 we will never see again ever in the sport of golf we were just wanting Tiger Woods to win. And I must admit, I had a, a seed of doubt in my mind. I was like, my goodness, man. Are we really going to ever see Tiger win again? Because at, at one point, I felt bad. But this past weekend was a reminder of perseverance and strength. This is the story for the past weekend on an Augusta National Course. Okay? At the Masters. Tiger Woods leading into the final round. He was down two shots to Francisco Molinari, the robot. Tiger Woods' putter has left him some birdies on the course during the entire weekend. But Sunday, we always saying, those of us who watch golf, those of us who, you know, follow Tiger Woods, we saying, man, he just needs a chance. That's all he needed. And methodically, Molinari in the first couple the first couple of holes, this man was saving pars, saving par. Because that's what you do in the final round. When you're leading, you don't have to go for the kill. You just play. You play. Play safe. Make sure you get pars and keep moving on. Molinari, up to the ninth hole, the first nine, the front nine. He had the Augusta record for holes without a bogey. I think it was 54 in a row without a bogey. That's an amazing accomplishment. That was Tiger Woods was going up against. Tiger Woods held his own. Then came the back nine. Tiger Woods bogeyed the 10th hole. Then he bogeyed the 11th hole. And then came where, in my eyes, the tournament changed. And Tiger Woods' career was ignited once again. 12th hole, part three. All Molinari had to do was get the ball on the green, take your par. But he went after the pin. The ball fell in the water. Finau had to do the same. All he had to do was get the ball on the green. But they all attacked the flag. The ball fell in the water. Tiger Woods hit it right in the middle of the green. 30 feet away from the cup, he parred his hole. Just like that, Molinari dropped two shots. Tiger Woods, top of the leaderboard. We go on to 13. 
Tiger Woods get par. Molinari get the lead. Not to prolong this. Long story short, Tiger Woods birdied. He birdies the par 5, 15th. Molinari uncharacteristically hits the ball off the pine tree on a par 5. Gets the layup. He also misses that shot. He bogeys that hole. Tiger Woods gets his birdie on 15. And he has the outright lead. Mind you now. Players in front of him. Brooke, Kra- Brooke Kepka. And a couple other guys. They took the lead for a moment. Then they gave it right back. Some hit bogey. Some hit pars. They didn't complete it. Tiger Woods then goes to the 16th hole. At Augusta National. Must I remind you guys, 2005, the infamous, one of the greatest chips of all time in golf. Tiger Woods hits it, chips it in. In your life, have you seen anything like this? That was the call in 2005. And all I can do, looking at the 16th hole, when Tiger Woods hit that 8 iron on the 16th hole, the ball fell exactly where it was supposed to fall. The ball rolled exactly past the hole and stopped where it was supposed to stop. And for another moment, I was saying to myself, this is happening. Tiger Woods might actually win another major. He was locked in. The guys in front of him, the guys behind him, they can hear the footstep. They can hear the roar. And those of us watching on TV, we just knew. We just knew. People in the sports center Studios, people in baseball stadiums, people everywhere. They were just stopping to see what Tiger was going to do. The last time he won a major, 2008. The last time he won the Masters was 2005. That was 14 years. We all stopped. And once again, we saw the Tiger Woods that's been dominating golf. We had hope. Tiger Woods hits his birdie putt on the 16th. He had a two-shot lead. And at that point, we all knew it's coming. Fast forward to the 18th hole, who was always giving Tiger problems during the Masters' career. It's always giving him problems. He had a decent drive. The ball landed in a bad spot. He shanked it to the right. All he needed was bogey. Tiger was got it on the green. A simple trip shot. Got it on the green. He putted for his par. He missed it and then putted it in. For the bogey and won his 15th mass, his 15th major championship, his fifth Masters for his career. One behind, one behind Jack Nicklaus. I was so happy for this man Tiger Woods. I don't know him; he doesn't know me, but I was happy. You know why? And I'm sure a lot of you were happy as well because this shows perseverance, a redemption story. It didn't matter where you were. The question you're going to ask 10 years from now, where were you in 2019, April 14th, when Tiger Woods won his fifth green jacket, his 15th major? Some of us thought he would never win again. Now we're all thinking, man, he won this one. How many more can he win now? Is he going to catch Jack Nicklaus? I absolutely believe so. I've been saying this for years. I just didn't know Tiger Woods was going to have these back problems. But it seems like he's back. And let us not forget, this man has a fuse back. So we don't know when he's going to give up on him. But as of right now, Tiger Woods is on top of the golf world. He looks healthy. He looks like his game is back. 
not as dominant as it was in his early 20s, mid-20s. But he looks like he's back. The PGA Championship is coming up. And Tiger Woods is the favorite. There's no surprise there. This tells us, guys. And this tells me. You work hard. You persevere through stuff. You have the mental fortitude to get through things in your life. You will one day come back on top. Tiger Woods, I salute you here from the Statman Sports Podcast. If you're hearing this ever, keep grinding, man. We are rooting for you. Here in America, we are a country of second chances. And you took back your second chance with style. Tiger Woods, five-time Masters champion. 15-time major champion. And I hope a lot more to come. Here's by the numbers. This is your stats of the day. Ah, welcome to the stat of the week. Guys, those of you who have been here since day one, you know we used to call this a stat of the day. But to make more sense of it, from moving on, we're going to name it the stat of the week. Made me wonder. This week's stat, something that stood out to me. We all know the NBA playoffs started, and there are a few teams that are already down 1-0, obviously, because it's only been the first game of the playoffs. So it made me wonder, what if these teams go down 2-0? What is their percentages of coming back? So I looked this up, and here is a staggering number. There have been teams that have gone on to take 2-0 leads, obviously. 282 of them. You know how many of them have won that series? 262 of them. So if you can do the math... There's only been 20 teams in NBA history that ever came back from a 2 from a 0-2 deficit. So, LA Clippers, just do your best to win the second game against the Golden State Warriors, which is highly likely not to happen. Brooklyn Nets, you beat the Philadelphia 76ers game 1. So Sixers fans, you sure you want to go down 0-2? <laughs> Orlando Magic, Toronto Raptors. Orlando Magic took a 1-0 lead with this dagger 3 by DJ Agustin. So Raptors fans, do you really want to go down 0-2? You guys can do the math. We all took math in school. 20 teams have ever come back from a 0-2 deficit. And with that said, that's your stat of the day. Keep it in context, Billy. Tell the whole story. Let's talk some NBA playoffs. But before I get into that, it's something that just came to my mind that I have to share with you guys. In the in the previous segment where we talk about Tiger Woods, it's a it's a keen reminder that regardless of your skin color, regardless where you came from, regardless of what's going on in the country you live in, and especially for us that live in the United States of America with all the turmoil that's going on in the White House and the division that we have, at least for one day, at least for 10 minutes, at least for a couple hours, we all were together. We all cheered for Tiger Woods. We all cheered for the sport of golf. Just like I said, no matter where you were, the question will always be, where were you April 14, 2019, when Tiger Woods won his fifth green jacket? Sports brings us together. Sports matters. It's an involvement in it. Your emotions that's, that's 
entangled in it. It's something amazing. You know, it brings out the best out of people. Sometimes it brings out the worst. I get it. But when we all on the same page, look what a beautiful thing it can be. That's all I wanted to say about that. So moving on to the NBA. <laughs> Game ones in the NBA playoff, man. The, to me, as a sports fan, one of my most favorite time of the year because basketball is number one for me. That's the sport I grew up watching. And I thought March Madness was over. But apparently it's not. We're getting the NBA version because this past weekend, oh my goodness, all these upsets happening. Something that I already mentioned in the stat of the day, teams that go down 0-2. Man, the Orlando Magic gave the upset to the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> and it leads me to believe, man, we were all saying LeBron James was the problem for the Toronto Raptors. I'm starting to believe it's not even the Drake curse. I think the Raptors are just cursed, period. Man, since since Vince Carter, you know, missed that shot when he went to North Carolina to receive his diploma for graduation, the Raptors haven't been quite relevant in the playoffs until last year or the year before where they played the Cleveland Cavaliers in the conference finals and they lost in a sweep. Since then, the Raptors, they, they just haven't been that great in the playoffs. I don't know what it is. And this year again, we catch a glimpse of Wow, really? Are, they, are the Raptors just not playoff ready? Kyle Lowry, he's getting paid $34 million. He went 0 for 14. Yeah, game one. DJ Augustine, a person that, you know, it, it's, it's in the back of our minds today. He dropped 20-plus on the Raptors. The one hit the game winner. So that that playoff series is going to be intriguing because Orlando played him very well during the regular season. So to me, it made me wonder. Hmm, is that series going to go seven? Is that series going to go six? I mean, can Orlando pull the upset? The Magic shot the ball really well, and the Raptors depended a lot on their home crowd and Kawhi Leonard. But ultimately, they didn't deliver, so it made me think again, man, was Kawhi an upgrade from DeMar DeRozan? Yes, before some of you start streaming crazy saying I'm saying something ridiculous, we all overreact after game one. And those are all the thoughts that came to my mind. And that's why I'm sharing them. But then I move on to the other series. We saw one upset in Orlando. Then we move on to the Brooklyn and the Sixers series. D'Angelo Russell. Chris Levert. Denwitty. Those guys pulled out the upset as well on the Philadelphia 76ers. Every time the season starts, we talk about the Sixers as being all oh, in the Eastern Conference contention. They might go to the NBA Finals. And then when the season goes along, comes to playoff time, we notice, oh my goodness, what is going on with this team? At one point, some of us thought that Ben Simmons was going to be the next Magic Johnson. He has the build. He passes like Magic. Not as good as Magic, but he, he, he's a damn well good passer. He creates for his teammates. But come playoff time, when you have to play a team seven times in a series, your weaknesses are shown. Ben Simmons is like Rajon Rondo back in 08. You remember how Kobe used to defend Rajon back in the NBA Finals? He gave him space. It's just like how teams defend Draymond Green now. It's like, bro, <laughs> your, your jump shot is not relevant. We're not going to guard you. And that's going to be a problem for the Sixers. Another suggestion that I was thinking, but is absolutely not an option, is like, hey, what about what about they put Ben Simmons in the post? That would do wonders for them too. 
But guess what? If they put Ben Simmons in the post, it's going to make Joel Embiid go on the perimeter. And that's not what you want. Joel Embiid is a 25 and 12 guy. Why would you want your big man on the perimeter? But then I remember, hey, that's a new NBA we play in. I remember when the playoffs was all about big men having a dominant big man and a dominant guard. If you look at that Lakers squad, specifically the 2001 Lakers, you look at them on paper. If you're just a casual basketball fan, all you remember was Kobe and Shaq. You don't think about Derek Fisher. You weren't thinking about Robert Ory. You weren't thinking about Rick Fox. You weren't thinking about Horace Grant. You weren't thinking about none of those guys. All you knew was we had this big monster, the most dominating force basketball has ever seen in Shaquille O'Neal. And then we had this young dominant guard in Kobe Bryant. That's how playoff series were won back in the day. Aside from the San Antonio Spurs who were well coached by Greg Popovich who they had, when they had Tim Duncan, prime Tony Parker, prime Monte Ginobili. They were the only team that were able to beat the Lakers just because they were well coached. But if you look on paper, they weren't supposed to beat the Lakers. Nobody was supposed to beat the Lakers. And on paper, the Lakers didn't even look that good aside from Kobe and Shaq. So you look at the 76ers from 1 through 5, they're like, okay, they have Jimmy Butler, a 1-2 player. They have Ben Simmons, an amazing point guard. Then you have J.J. Redick, a good shooter. Joel Embiid, he dominates in the post. But then you remember, ah, man, the NBA we play in today, they're all perimeter players. These dudes, they don't focus on being in the post. In the postseason is what you need, somebody to dominate the paint. That's why... The Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals, people couldn't understand, at least the millennials today, they couldn't understand why Christian Thompson was, Tristan Thompson rather, was dominating the NBA Finals on the offensive glass. Because Golden State didn't have a legitimate big man. And that's what you need today in this NBA. Sure, it's a three-point shooting NBA, but I go back to the old school. You have to play basic basketball. Somebody who dominates in the paint will always get your teammates open shots, regardless of their quality. And that's what the Sixers need to focus on. They need to make Joel Embiid touch the ball every time down the floor as long as he's on the basketball court. That's what needs to happen. If the Sixers want to win this series, if they want to beat the Nets, because the Nets have nothing to lose. Everybody expects them to lose. So they're playing freely. So that's what the Sixers need to do. Get Joel Embiid that basketball and hope not to drop 2-0. Probably by the time... You listen to the podcast, the Sixers might have won or lost game two. I'm not sure. But we'll see what would happen. Moving on to the Golden State and the Clippers series. I think that that's going to be dead. I think Actually, I think the Clippers might get a game just because Golden State is going to drop asleep in a game three or game four. But I think logistically, that's just going to be in a 4-0. You guys saw Steph Curry in game one? He broke Ray Allen's three-point record. 386 three-pointers in 91 games. Just let that sink in for a moment. Ray Allen, it took Ray Allen 141 games, which is impressive, to get 385 three-pointers. It took Steph Curry 91. LeBron James is third on the list, which is an achievement in itself. But it took LeBron 252 games to get 370 three-pointers. That's how sick and ridiculous Steph Curry is. He's not human. When it comes to shooting, it's like Lionel Messi with a football. They're in a different stratosphere. They're the greatest of all time. There's no comparison. On earth, it might be Cristiano Ronaldo is the best player. 
But Messi's not on earth. He's not human. Steph Curry, when it comes to shooting, he's not human. Then a different level. Then I want to move on to the Portland Trail Blazers and Oklahoma City Thunder. That matchup between Damian Lillard and Russell Westbrook, game one, Damian Lillard was on fire. He was spitting fire just like his lyrics, his rap lyrics. Russ didn't know what to do with him. Nobody on the Thunder know what to do with him. Paul George had an awful day. Russell Westbrook was not on his game. And let's not even talk about Ennis Cantor. Ennis Cantor dominated inside. Total domination. Again, we all overreact after a game one. But game one can be a good indication as to what to expect the rest of the series. Sure, there are those game ones where a team like the Orlando Magic, I don't ultimately think they're going to beat the Raptors. But it makes us think a bit. What's going to happen? So my focus has always been in NBA playoffs. Which team is going to have the better guard play? And in that and in that uh, Oklahoma City, Portland game, we're going to see one of the two best guards in the NBA. And Damian Lillard hit the first punch. He got the first knockout. Round one, baby. So let's see what's going to happen next. About those other series, the, the, the <laughs> I don't even think I should waste more than 15 seconds talking about the Milwaukee Bucks and the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons are not going to have Blake Griffin apparently for the rest of the series. And we saw what happened in game one. The Bucks won by like 900 points. Like it's not Giannis had this ridiculous line. He played 23 minutes, had 24 points and 17 rebounds and 4 assists. Like what? The Pistons have no chance. Let's just write the box on to round number two. That's the NBA playoff recap for this weekend, guys. I hope you pay attention to the statistics, pay attention to the details of game to game. Things that happen in the regular season, they give you an idea of what could happen. But in the playoffs, man, it's a different animal. Ah, that is the end of episode number 30. Once again, we came to the end of another journey. Man, this week, this weekend, we talked about a lot. And that's what happens when you get a great, amazing sports weekend. Before I let you guys go, remember, if you haven't subscribed already, find the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and hit it, man. It will be much appreciated. We're going to have some giveaways as well on social media. So look out for Statman Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and at Duffy's Boy on Twitter. And that will be all for this week. And I expect to hear from you again next week. But for right now, Statman signing out, baby. Thanks for listening to the Statman Sports Podcast. See you next time.